16. You, you know I don't count that high. I don't have that many toes. I know. But anyway. but you have a very boring life. Boring is good. Exciting is overrated. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place, and dragons only exist in fantasy novels. Take that, Doc. <clears throat> and uh, without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Dirk Ashton, introduce himself. So can you tell us about yourself, Dirk? Uh, my name is Dirk Ashton. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Um, I wrote the Paternus Trilogy, Epic Urban Fantasy. Um, those are the only three books I have out. I have some short stories, but um, I have I worked in the film business for a while, lived in Los Angeles, and I teach film for my day job. That is exciting. That's so. Me. Do you have a favorite movie? <laughs> Do you have a favorite movie when you teach film that you like to show? Oh boy, I show so many films. I, I think some of the some of the films I enjoy showing the most are films that I know students have never seen. Like if I'm studying, if I'm going through the '60s and I show them like the president's analyst or something like that. And they're like, oh my God, how did we never know this movie existed? That kind of stuff. I watched Pi in high school, which is apparently a movie. You watched what? Pi, an indie yeah. film about them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Not sure why, but our math teacher made us watch it. And so interesting. A math movie, interesting. Yeah, all I got out of that is geometry will drive a, drive you to maiming yourself with, um, and the key to inner happiness is for, with a screwdriver to the head. Yeah, pretty much. That's interesting. But uh, this is not the Doc Suska therapy hour, so we will move on. I actually liked a lot of the original black and white horror movies, so like Birds, the remake, oh. when they rely so much on CGI and bad acting, not so good. But when they had to actually be dramatic, like in, in just all on acting, the original Birds, that was creepy. Well, I mean, if they relied on CGI and good acting, it would be a good movie. Even still, I think something like when you rely too much on CGI, you take away for too much, I think. But anyway, we're going to have to have you back when we do one of our movie review episodes because we're going to be doing some more of those. And you seem like the perfect expert to bring back for that. I'd be happy to. Doc, why didn't you tell me you knew this guy? Jeez. I did tell you I knew this guy. Yeah, when you said, hey, be here, be square, which incidentally is how I found Dirk. She said, be here or else. Yeah, you're so square. <laughs> Ouch. I'm crushed. I'm wounded. You broke my soul. Ask me really good questions. They'll give, they'll give you a ibuprofen. Probably and tell me to change my socks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now that we've covered how JR knows you, is there anything else you want to add, JR? You could say how you know him. You oh, be sociable. I, I could be you sociable. Like You're not going to tell him that, are you? That's a myth. It's a myth. What well, happens I'm... if Dragon Con stays at Dragon Con? <laughs> <laughs> That's the after dark portion of the paneling that rolls. Damn it. That was morning. <laughs> it's the morning part where you do the networking. <laughs> networking. <laughs> Is that what they call day drinking at Dragon Con? No, no, no. The networking's at. 
You're never there. You always go to bed early. So, but we met at Dragon Con uh, when I was working as the Fantasy Lit Track Director. Mm -hmm. Cool. So You meet lots of neat people that way. All uh, I think is what, like 300 people come to that con every year? 300, yeah. <laughs> I call that the Mardi Gras of Fantasy Cons. Or the Mardi Gras of Cons in general. Yes, there are definitely many people who come. I've so never by Mardi Gras, do you mean people flash know. their boobs and throw uh, throw necklaces at people? Uh that that has happened. <laughs> well, I was actually trying to be funny, but okay. <laughs> All right, yeah. save me from myself and asking the religion questions. <laughs> but saving you from yourself is not nearly as much fun. So you like to watch me stick my foot in my mouth. You do eat it very well. Is he's okay? That, he's that limber. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in my younger days. <laughs> so, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? That's too easy. Firefly. <laughs> have you seen my shirts? I have like 12 Firefly t-shirts. I wear them at Dragon Con. I know. I've seen them. I'm wearing a Dragon Con uh, or a Firefly t-shirt sitting in the Game of Thrones throne and from Worldcon several years ago is my Twitter profile. Nice. So uh, I bet J.R.R. Martin loved that one. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he ever saw it. So I think this one's pretty easy. I, I'm willing to bet I know which the answer is. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Potterverse? Gosh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be because that's what your PhD's in? Uh, well, my, my dissertation was on the Lord of the Rings and a French philosopher named Gilles Deleuze. Oh, that's kind of cool. So I kind of, kind of, kind of like that stuff. Have you um, put that up for publication on your author page so people can uh, read it? I have not. Um, I probably should put it. I know a my... couple of authors who who did. JR would read it. Yeah, I, I there, probably... there are a couple. There are a couple of authors who made the transition from like their academic writing to professional, like to yeah. what, what you're doing now, and mm -hmm. they still publish like their interesting publications. They'll they'll put on their Amazon author page and wherever else. I should I should do that. Actually, um, you know, uh, Mihir Wanchu, uh, he's he was at Dragon Con a couple of years ago. He'll be here. He runs Fantasy Book Critic. Um, oh wow! And he just asked me today um, if I would send him a. Um, I uh, delivered a paper at the Tolkien Society conference back in like 2007 in New Hampshire, and uh, it was about. Gollum and Nisha and Frodo and uh, he uh, he really wanted to read it so I said maybe it'll help you sleep so I sent it to him today so I guess <laughs> some people are actually interested in that stuff so I should get I should get that up on the site and in fact I'm going to write that down right now on one of so, my handy, handy little stickies. <laughs> so when you went to this convention, the Tolkien thing, is that an academic symposium or is it like? It's both. There are fans there and there are academics there. Um, anybody who 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 writes and publishes articles or books on the Lord of the Rings, um, there are there are J.R.R. Tolkien scholars um, at some wow. universities, um, and uh, or you know um, uh, speculative fiction um, uh, professors who specialize in writing about Tolkien. Um, and, and, and stuff. So, yeah, it's a, a real thing. 
park fans go and sometimes they'll they're allowed to deliver papers as well so it's pretty interesting that is cool See, they, I take just it, they take it very, very seriously. Maybe too seriously, but it's kind of it's cool. <laughs> as long as we'll they're happy, out you know? so you don't get hate mail. <laughs> yeah. Hey, as long as people are happy, you know, follow your love. That's right. As long as it's happy and healthy, whatever, whatever makes you happy. They don't so, do any. They don't do any cosplay at those things. Well, they get all hard. their game. For some amazing cosplays. We all wear jackets and ties. See, JR can never go then. Yeah, I couldn't it get away. With, looking like a grown-up. I couldn't get get away with a Red Rising t-shirt at a Tolkien Society conference. Grown-up is overrated, but anyway. Yeah. Did you wear pants at least? Sure, I sure. Wore pants. Well, that was back. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> when pants were in. <laughs> You just pull it off so, and kill, and if they say anything, tell them that they're being discriminatory. That's right. Exactly. So, speaking of things we love, which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? You know, I I uh, was looking through this through the questions, the list, and um, I thought, boy, I'm not exactly sure. I think I would have to say sci-fi or fantasy, though, um, because uh, I was reading things like. Um, Charlotte's Web and Stuart Little, and of course, you know, Dr. Seuss. If that's not fantasy, nothing is, right? Yeah. Um, so I would have to say that first, though I very quickly got into, you know, Chronicles of Narnia. I very quickly got into like um, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, so that kind of stuff. So um, definitely there's, there's some serious sci-fi early on in there as well. So you talked about some of your first uh, memories with with written fiction, but mm -hmm. before you were reading the the Chronicles of Narnia and the other stuff, were you were there any games that you engaged in that were covered that the genre? No, I'm a little. Be, I'm I'm actually even a little before the Dungeons and Dragons craze. Um, uh, okay. I didn't even know what that was until I was in college. Um, so uh, there was no, and there were no video games when I was growing up. You know, I graduated high school in 1981. So good year. I've been around for a while. And, JR, uh, shut up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, now that you mention it, though, I had, though I had been reading some of that other stuff that I mentioned, um, it was... The Rankin and Bass um, 70s cartoon of The Hobbit that got me to read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. I watched so that. That, that is a uh, very interesting cartoon. I love it. Yes. So, so <laughs> speaking of cartoons. story in less than an hour. <laughs> so speaking of cartoons uh, and television in general, Star Trek would have been around the original. When oh, you yeah, were yeah. I was definitely, I was watching Star Trek. Um, was that before uh, you were reading the stuff? Uh, yeah, uh, because you know, I was reading, um, I was reading, you know, A Wrinkle in Time in the fourth grade, you know, nice. and that was like not one of my earliest novels that I read, so <laughs> I was reading kind of fan, but that, that's actually kind of strides you know straddles the line between sci-fi and fantasy wouldn't you say I, 
I think that yeah. particularly in the last century, uh, this, this line between sci-fi and fantasy was grayer than it is now. Thank you, Amazon. And I don't mean that in a nice way. Yeah. Um, I'm but just saying if it's got dragons in it, it's fantasy. You're just wrong. And um, but also I think it's Dragon Riders of Pern. I was That's shocked, what we're arguing about. shocked to find out that Dragon's Riders of Pern was actually science fiction. I never well, knew genetic engineering. I never knew. Well, I never read them until last year. Why didn't you read them until last year? <laughs> I see that scrolling across the bottom. <laughs> it's got genetically it engineered away. dragons. It's got genetically engineered. See, she broke the They're internet. Dragons. Exactly. See? Yeah. All right. So what is it about speculative fiction as a genre that you love? It's just that it, I, I think it's that um, it's <laughs> one, I think that it's the one. <laughs> I wish I could do that. Um, I told you she was she was letting the power go to her head. <laughs> Um, I think it's that it it's the one genre that really just lets the human mind go wild, you know. Um, I did read a lot of other stuff growing up. I mean, I loved like um, um, I read a lot of like old school stuff, like um, Sherlock Holmes and everything Edgar Allan Poe and. Um, uh, Charles Bukowski, you know, even all that wild stuff. Um, so I always loved that too, stuff too. And it can be incredibly, you know, mind blowing, but, but something about fantasy and being able to like truly kind of escape and just see the human mind come up with all this crazy fun stuff um, that really has always appealed to me. Okay. And so how did that love of the genre of speculative fiction, that large umbrella that it is, how did that transition into you writing stories in that space? Um, you know, I really like that stuff. I actually tried to write a novel, like kind of a superhero sci-fi novel when I was in high school, handwritten with pencil. Um, and I never really finished it because then I had to go to college and do all kinds of other stuff. And, and then uh, I wrote screenplays. Um, and tried to get them sold in Los Angeles when I lived out there. Um, I had some very, very close calls. Uh, almost, almost got some things done, but um, they never really happened. And that was, um, one of them was just a thriller. Um, the other two were more um, kind of superhero related. Um, one was more dealing with, you know, uh, Death Drives a Cadillac, it was called. <laughs> and it was uh, about, you know, an actual death driving around in a Cadillac taking lives. But there were other ones that, that were around and, you know, just goofy shit like that. So um, I did that kind of writing um, and it was just seemed natural as like, I just wanted to do it. So I did it. But then I didn't do any writing and or reading for probably 15 years. Um, when I was studying for my PhD and when I was teaching full time, I teach online now um, as an adjunct. So I have a lot more time. Uh, I didn't get a chance to even read books. Uh, I was reading student papers and academic papers and textbooks and 
yes. writing academic papers and all that. And it's just, you don't have time. I just had none for any of that, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, then when I finally went, left that job to teach only online, I got to read again. And I was like, ah. And so I got, I just tore through all these books that had come out that I, that were big that I hadn't been able to read and started reading a bunch of other stuff. Then I was reading Game of Thrones and I was reading um, like uh, the immortal Nicholas Flamel because I read like everything. I read teen, <laughs> grade school. Um, I know. read the Nicholas Flamel stuff. And it's very yeah. cute. I love those. Yeah. So he's a real neat guy. I've gotten to know him, know him on Twitter too. He's very, yeah. <clears throat> he read my books. He likes my books. Well, your books are very likable, which is part of why we have you here. Because I absolutely loved his stuff. And I, I've um, gone I through all of your mythology. books. Yeah. I always loved mythology. Um, right alongside all the reading I did as a kid and up through teenager and up through college, I was reading mythology too, because basically that's fantasy. Yeah. You know? Um, gods and magic and power and crazy creatures and all kinds of other fun stuff. And um, I just really love that stuff. And I always wanted to write things incorporating that, you know, so I loved like Rick Reardon and the lightning thief. And I loved um, Michael Scott's secrets of the immortal Nicholas Flamel. And, you know, that, but there was nothing like that for really for adults, it was only halfway through, it was only after I had finished the first book that uh, I even became aware of like American Gods, right? Yes, I but still I know, need to read that book. I know there have to be other books out there, but I just didn't know about them. And I really wanted to do this kind of story, but for grownups, right? So yeah. you know, people have called it uh, light, uh, you know, Lightning Thief for grownups. Um, uh, I can see that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because mine's much nastier and, you know, people, <laughs> say, people say bad words and there's like. People say bad words. People die. People die. People have sexy talk. Um, they, you know, people just do what people do. So um, it was. Uh, uh, it, that's that's how I got started to answer the question. That's kind of what led me into all that i finally had time to start playing around with it messing around with it when i when i left the full-time teaching gig so. i i feel that because when i was in undergrad and then graduate school i always told myself when i got done with school i was going to read a book just because i wanted to read it not because it was yeah. assigned yeah and some of those primary sources are interesting those people were like snarky in their comments but some of it was just very dry Right. Uh, and so that was that was the hardest part of, of recovery when I got hurt overseas was I couldn't read for a while until until the e-reader and I could magnify the hell out of the pages on bad days. Right. But yeah, you don't realize how much you miss it until you can't. Right. Because there's always tomorrow. Right. Like, oh, I'll just I'll read it tomorrow. And, yeah. you know, inevitably you get busy with life. Yep. yep. So I read uh, right I mean, now. I read every night, even if it's only for 20, 30 minutes. I read every night. I, but too. I'm a very slow reader. It's you'd think I'd be through a lot more books, but I read maybe 12 a year, 10 to 12, sometimes 15 a year. That's it. I, I can understand that. I, um, I, I love audiobooks for that reason. See, How I many books do you read a year, Doc? My brain, my brain wanders off too easily. 
I can do it if I'm stuck in a car, but I generally don't have long drives longer than like 10 minutes. So don't make me jealous. I live in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have 10 minutes to get half a mile. I don't have to commute anymore, but that also means I rarely leave the house. So, (laughs) so doc, how many do you read a year? Uh, physical or we'll like include the audio audiobook. Book. Oh, include if it's, it. if oh. you include audiobooks, probably about 50 to 60. Awesome. But most of those are oh, 90% of that list is audiobook. Yeah. So I was so How, happy over Thanksgiving. Oh. I, for my birthday, I just sat and read a book all day. I, I track nice. it with, um, I track it with, Thank you. It was fun. I track mine with Goodreads and I'm up to about 75 a year is my average. That's awesome. So, but But I mean, I wish I I could do that. There are so many books that are on my shelves and some of them are friends of mine. And I know that I might never, ever get to read them. (laughs) I buy way more books than I read. I, I, I buy way more books than I read, but um, I will also do things like Jay Boyce, who, you know, she sent me, um, and we've interviewed. She sent me all of her book, all her, uh, all of her uh, a trilogy of her books, and I felt bad because I hadn't read them, so I bought them on audiobook when they were, <laughs> and then plowed through them. And she's like, "Oh, you really did read them." And I'm like, so, but um, I can't just sit and listen to an audiobook if I'm doing something like dishes. Counting to a thousand because my son has decided to be insane. <laughs> Something so like that, that. The um, and then we'll get back on track to talking to, to Dirk about Dirk, but we're having a fun nerd out, so I think the, the listeners will go with it too. But the only thing that irks me about they don't have a choice, so they're hostages. That's right. So the the one thing that irks me a little bit about some books, they don't always as easily convert to audio format. So like if they don't have like. Now we're having Bob speak and you have a little header that says we're switching. If they don't have that, a lot of times the distinction when they switch scenes is a pause. And with my brain damage, that doesn't always register. So sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, we were just talking about Bob. Why is he suddenly a girl? You know, and and so sometimes it can be a little (laughs) jarring. I I think I've I've had some of those and um, I think we were at Dragon Con and somebody said that they actually realized that that was happening for some of their listeners and they started writing differently to incorporate yeah. that. I remember specifically um, uh, a couple of authors talking about how they did. Um, he said, she said kind of stuff. Um, I had an English teacher who hated that. So I got out of that by like eighth grade. Yeah. Because so- I had her three hours a day. So there's a ways to get around that that's not as, as uh, onerous as everyone would have you believe. It is it is true that when you're reading, you sort of gloss over that and you don't tend to see it. It blurs. But when they're reading it to you and you have him saying, Bob said, John said, every like fourth word, it gets a little tedious. I, I get well, that. But I'm to, talking more, there, more there about transitions. There are ways to do it without using it at all. Um, some authors are really, really good at it. Um Generally, I just try to keep things real simple and uh, only use it when it's important that they know who's actually talking. Yeah, I think there was somebody who I was talking to who was either a writer or a narrator, and they said they actually went through and rewrote passages 
for the audiobook oh, just really? to make sure to clarify some of those things. Mm -hmm. so. I believe that. Or they use very distinctly different voices. Yeah, well, it does you know, clarify a audio. little bit. Go ahead. Hmm. No, I was just going to say, um, audiobooks and and reading books are different things. They, they oh, yeah. are different things. Um, one's not better than the other, but they are different. Um, so, you know, if you listen to a book, you didn't read the book. You know, it could be it could actually be a little bit different, but you didn't. Um, if you read the book, you haven't listened to the book. So I think they, one of my are different things. I think one of my favorite memes is uh, somebody who goes, "An audiobook listener knows how it's pronounced, but a reader knows how it's spelt." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my favorite example, and we're actually interviewing her later, is Michelle Myers wrote the uh, "Forget Nothing" series for a book for Galaxy's Edge. And that's the first book because I listened to the main series on, I, I read it. I didn't listen to it at the time. And so, cause they were coming out quicker than audible was producing them. And I didn't realize one of the characters was Scottish and had a Scottish accent until I listened to that audiobook. Like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was um, watching an interview with Josiah Bancroft who wrote the books of Babel. And um, I've known Josiah for quite a while. And uh, uh there's, you know, my family has read the books too. My mom has read them. My sister has read them. And they're always like, how do you pronounce this name? How do you pronounce that? And I always told them how I always pronounced it. And then people ask the same questions on that interview with him. And I was right every time. Nice. <laughs> so, so there's a trend for some fantasy authors where they just make up words and throw a bunch of apostrophes. And on those, I'm like, I'm not even going to try. Uh, and then the funny one is now I see it and I just think that poor narrator, whoever's going to narrate this someday. Yeah. yeah. But that's anyway, out, that's, that's fallen out of favor now, but it was a big, because thing. of audiobook yeah. trays, I suspect. Yeah. But well, anyway, so it's falling out of favor even before it became a craze. Was it? Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so many authors will let their own real life experiences sort of influence the stories they tell, but are there any specific formidable moments you think that shaped you as a storyteller? I mean, you were writing your first attempt at a novel back in high school. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't say there are any formidable moment, moments, um, but my books, the, my characters, uh, situations, things that they say um, are heavily influenced by things that I have seen that my friends say, that other people say, um, how they act or don't act, um, uh, what choices they make um, are heavily in influenced by what I've experienced throughout my life. Um, so yeah, there, but there are no big, big, there's no one big thing I can think of. Okay. All right, Doc, your favorite questions. Fandom question. Well, that's because I understand fandom and you just don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, the whole thing. Yes, it is. Have you had any cool fan art or somebody cosplay one of your characters yet? I have. And the first time somebody um, did art, and we're talking like Felix Ortiz and. Um, a couple of other people who are like really good artists they're posting they posted like fan art of my of my stuff and i was oh wow blown, i was blown away i was like oh i love that 
Wait, um, I actually used I actually uh, asked them if I could, and I used some of that as um, art cards to print and put in uh, my Kickstarter hardbacks when I did those um, because it's so cool. And I think what one person I know of has has cosplayed um, Peter, the main character oh. in my book. And it was actually um, Jonathan French who wrote The Grey Bastards. Okay. Uh, and the 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 the, uh, the Grey Bastards that series, and uh, so he when I and it was at Dragon Con, <laughs> and he went he went that day dressed as um, as Peter. He had a he had made a golden spear and the and the shirt and the pants and it was perfect. <laughs> so I do have a question about that, Doc. So with costuming, you mentioned that they have to go through some procedures to make it very clear that the guns are non-functional if they dress for that for cosplay. What do they do for people that are doing fantasy with like swords and spears? How do they make sure those are non-functional? Peace, they peace tie them. What's that mean? They they inspect they inspect them and actually put a little thing on them that shows that they're yeah. okay. But the big thing is with peace tying is basically they're they're securing it physically to another part of the costume, so they're not like able to. If it's a sword that you could theoretically draw, yeah, yeah. and hurt. So they tie it, it to the scabbard, for instance. Yeah, yeah. it's basically they zip tie it. <laughs> I don't have to do that. That's security and safety's job. So how do you piece tie a spear if someone was going as like the three hundred, for instance? Well, they can uh, tell people they can't bring stuff. They uh, can tell people a lot of times the, the like the three hundred guys they carry them, and so that's not a big thing. Um. It's really the ones that, because the 300 guys don't carry bladed spears, like yeah. with real blades. Like foam okay. rubber and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, okay. once again, that's safety's job, not mine. So, so the, the medieval <laughs> character cosplayers, they, they can wear real armor, but not carry a real sword. Got it. Right. Um, sort of. Okay. Like, we've had some HEMA. We've had, like, the war, uh, the, um nations tournament guys at dragon con but they're not really like they're not really swinging them around they're they, and they're not sharpened okay so, hema doesn't sharpen them cut and thrust doesn't sharpen them um and they're definitely because also they have their own liability issues on that so they're not any more motivated to get it sued than anybody else yeah no only a masochist likes getting sued or a sadist. I don't know. I get a mix up. I don't think anybody gets this fun likes getting sued other than the lawyers like suing. All right. Fair. We'll move on. We don't want a horror show. <laughs> <laughs> that was another episode. Too yeah. Late. So has anybody asked you uh, for your autograph? Yes. Okay. Actually, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, People come up at conventions. It's really cool when people do that. It's one of the best things. You don't know them. They introduce themselves. Sometimes you know them from Twitter or Facebook, and uh, they introduce themselves. And sometimes I recognize them. Sometimes I don't. Um, but, you know, they want a picture. Uh, they want autographed, the book autographed. Um, that's always really, really cool. People will email me out of the blue or contact me out of the blue and I get contacted on Goodreads, Twitter, Messenger, email, um, people wanting, asking for signed books and 
I tried to do it every time I can. So that's pretty cool. And okay. um, but nobody, nobody random on the street has ever walked up <laughs> to me. In that. That's okay. There's still room for that to happen, but first you have to leave the house. Right. Yeah. So um have you ha had any funny interactions with a fan yet? Um you know, I don't have any fun stories about that. Uh, it's always just been like good, fun, regular stuff. No like crazies, no stalking, no. That's like, good. No like sign my breasts, nothing, you know, nothing like that. <laughs> so that's good though, but you've had good positive interactions and that's always great to have because yeah. that definitely keeps you wanting to come out and do stuff. It is. It is awesome. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I'm glad that you honored the NDA we signed when, when we met uh, about the whole breast <laughs> thing. I, I apologize. Like there was a little bit of alcohol involved. I'm sorry. I wasn't, right. wasn't going to say anything. JR, just because you're, you're, you're not a hot young male anymore, it's time for you to keep your shirt on. Are you, yeah. you thought I was hot once? No. Mark does love me. No, but you got a life at one point, so somebody must have been at least passable. It's possible as he's gotten older, his breasts have matured. <laughs> All right, so this is where we talk about everything you have written. You did mention that the trilogy are the only published novels that you have. You have written a dissertation, which we talked about, and you said a passel of short stories. So can you tell us about some of those short stories you've written? Um, this ties into another question that you have, I believe. Which is uh, the find the one about? Uh, is there anything I had to cut out? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow, he read the questions before the show. Like he really read them. All right. Well, then we'll skip this question, and you can answer it then. Um, okay. So we, we don't mess with the flow too much. Same, I'll answer them both at the same time. Okay. Ooh. So while all of those uh, short stories that you didn't talk about yet have, sound fascinating, today we're going to talk about. Paternus, Rise of the Gods, the first book in the Paternus trilogy. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with it? Was it psychedelics, the Ouija board, uh, overindulging in, I don't know, bad academic coffee in the teacher's lounge? I'm assuming they had teacher's lounges in college. Yes. I was never cool enough to get invited to those, all right? No, uh, actually, they did not. Not not at University of Toledo where I was working. No. Okay. No. So how did you come up with the premise for this universe? Ah, uh, boy. Um, like I said, I have always been a huge fan of mythology, and I always wanted to do something involving kind of a unified field theory for all the mythologies around the world, because I like them all. Um, and, uh, of course, I started with Norse and Greek and, and that kind of stuff, but then expanded into to like Irish and Mesoamerican and then Native American and Hindu uh, from India, um, Chinese and Japanese mythologies and folk tales and folklore. They're all um, very closely related and um, uh, from all over, all over the world. And I always thought, wouldn't it be fun to try to like pull this all together? these things are real 
will place the story in the in our real world today but these things do exist and always have and there are still some left um so that was kind of a basic idea uh that i had but then it was like how do you come up with the vehicles to tell the story and then put together the plot vehicles meaning the 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 characters i'm a character centered author i believe that my characters are number one some people say story location plot um all kinds of other things but but characters to me are number one um uh i've read some great stories where i just wasn't interested or didn't like the characters um i think you have to you have to care about the characters in one way or another so i that's what i needed to come up with but then i also had to find these like real characters out of real mythologies real um and then bring them to life in a modern day setting right what would they be like how they're so freaking old right um what would they really be like <laughs> you know and some would be different some would have handled it differently uh, than others most of them are gone but there are still enough around that i could write a story about it um i kind of made it that way but uh that's that's basically what i wanted to do with it i'm not sure if that answered the question at all but he is I, a college I do tend to ramble. I mean, we've got we've had guests that were also college professors that rambled longer, so we'll call this a win and move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Doc knows who I'm talking about. Um, oh, so I love before, my friends. They, they are fun people. So before we dig in, we're going to take a moment to look at this cover. You showed the book a little bit. Uh, when when you were brought it up, but let's bring it up on the big screen. So, Ooh, uh, where did the the story behind this art come from? Because that that's a pretty amazing looking image. Um, you know, that's not the original cover. Um, when the book first came out in May of 2016, um, it had a really cool cover, but people thought it looked too YA and said things like it was. Uh, it didn't really tell it didn't really didn't really put on put across the story the type of book that it really was uh very well um so about a year after it came out even though i got really lucky and was in like the top 10 of that self-published uh uh fantasy blog off uh that mark lawrence runs with all the bloggers um and ended up placing third behind Jonathan French um, and Phil Tucker, um, who Siska, you've also met briefly. At that time. Um, uh, and uh, we, uh, I was, I'm in a writer's group and we're just talking about stuff like that and rebranding. And I didn't even have it called anything at that point. So I decided to try to get a new, cover and i had i you know i gave them the ideas for the covers this is this is book two it's a similar sort of thing with a big creature and then a, a dude with flaming swords it's a giant snake with arms and scimitars and a guy with flaming swords and then the same artist did all three of these then there's this one um book three which is of course uh 
another giant. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and the same artist, artist uh, John Anthony D. Giovanni, did all three. And I told him basically kind of what I was looking for, and then he just brought them to life. Um, and uh, I found too. him. I found him. He was he wasn't really doing covers at that time, except that he was he had done a cover for Michael R. Fletcher's book, uh, Ghosts of Tomorrow. And I was like, wow, that guy is freaking good. Um, so I I messaged Mike <laughs> and said, dude, who did that? And it turns out he's kind of semi-related to this guy, young guy, um, who was interested in getting to do getting to do book covers. So I like he gave me his email. I contacted him. He's like, heck yeah. So we did this cover and then he started doing more and then he did these other two covers. And of course his prices kept going up, but he gave me an, a nice, a nice, uh, a legacy price. Yeah. Because, because I was one of his first, actually, I think only a second, um, cover that he'd done. And, um, now he's, <laughs> he's doing the illustrations for the, uh, subterranean press special editions of, uh, Joe Abercrombie's latest series, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's gotten really huge. So it's, I love to see that. I really love to see that, but it was, it was great working with him. He's just such a super guy to work with and just amazingly talented. Um, and he, he would give me a few different uh, ideas that he had. And I'm like, oh, it's that one. And if I had any ideas, uh, he was just like, okay, let's try it. And, you know, I told him, I told him with this one, I want like that blue, that blue ice, you know, from like the Arctic. Um, but, and I want it to yeah. maybe be snowing, but I want an orange moon. And here's some pictures of green snakes. And he's like, oh, they, that color palette. I don't think I've ever worked with anything like that. And no, any, any very distinctive so, color palette. I'm so glad you pushed me to do that because it came out, you know, really, really nicely. Yeah, it's a super distinctive color palette. So yeah, yeah, it's eye catching. So and you know, I keep the moon in all of them. Um, it's even if it's even on this one though, it it's red up in the back. You know. Yeah. So it's hard. We're to gonna see. pretend I can see all those colors and move on. He can't see those <laughs> colors. He's, he's no. dumb. <laughs> Wait, what? No, She's saying yes. <laughs> no, right. I would never do that. No, not at all. So yeah, that's the story of the art. And I'll tell you what, as soon as I did that, and I also wasn't sure what genre this was, <laughs> honestly, I didn't know a lot about those things. So I never called it urban fantasy. But as soon as I ca started calling it urban fantasy and um and put these covers up um called it the paternus trilogy changed the names the name of this one from just paternus to paternus rise of gods uh, mm -hmm. which is what it says on the inside of the book um and uh then did rise of gods wrath of gods and war of gods the but as soon as i put this covered up and just admitted to myself okay this is a this meets that and it's urban fantasy sales changed uh i you know i didn't make a fortune but i went from selling you know three books a week to you know 30 um <laughs> which is pretty big jump um it's a big I, enough I, jump that you definitely found what works for you this has done better and better as as it's gone along and i got the audiobooks out but 
it's um I've been super super lucky super lucky for a debut for that at being my debut book but that made a That's... huge difference changing the art and working with uh Sean King from uh, STK Creations did the did the font and the cover and the cover design um which I think had a lot to do with it too because it looks really cool it, it is definitely really snappy there's enough i like that you have the yellow at the top and the yellow at the bottom because it brings yeah. your eye down so that yeah. you see both the title as well as the author's name because uh sometimes the authors kind of hide their name and uh that's kind of counterproductive in my mind he's really good at what he does really good so what would you say is your 30-second elevator pitch for this book or the series? You know, I'd so you'd think after this many years, I'd be, I'd have one that I just, but I don't. <laughs> uh, gods and monsters of myth and legends uh, really did exist and some still do. Um, that's about it. <laughs> you know what though? That works really well. So, um, and You've talked some about it, but do you think there's anything that super stands out and makes your series special and unique? Um, I uh, was thinking about that, and you know, I I I I, uh, I I straddle the line sometimes dangerously between super tropey and corny, and <laughs> like and like super serious, um, and. Uh, so, you know, a lot of it is is just really familiar. You know, there's the big battle between the big bad guys they all have to prepare for and then go fight this big battle. You know, that's been done in every book. Um, but I approach both the writing style and the prose and the um, and the uh, and the story and how the characters develop. I tried to do it a little bit differently. Um, there's something about what I've done that that has, you know, a ton of people love it. You know, it's uh, and but that I do have people that just plain hate it. <laughs> so which tropes do you think you really either hit the best or you just had complete fun changing up? Um, uh, I, my bad guys. um while being some of my bad guys while being really bad um uh are end up being very gray uh because their intentions aren't quite what you thought they would be um and how they were going about it was a little bit hopefully a little bit different um some of them are just strictly all bad um but yes still have to try them, put them in some funny situations or have them something funny happen to them or have them say something funny. You know, I'm kind of the Josh Whedon school, you know, um, you can have all the grim nastiness you want, but for God's sake, then tell a joke. Um, yeah. So I still, you know, I, I try to do that kind of thing um, and keep and take I take the story and storytelling very, very seriously, but I try not to take myself too seriously. Um, and I'm the same way with film criticism. Um, so, uh, and film studies, you know, uh, I take that stuff very seriously, but I don't, I try very hard not to take myself too seriously 
when engaging in it, right? If that makes any sense at all. <laughs> um, so, which means it, it it allows me to have a lot of fun um, when I'm doing this stuff. Uh, my my, I mean, I have I have the 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 teenage the teenage um, female character who's clumsy and uncomfortable with herself, you know, and that's been, that's super tropey. Um, it's super and, tropey, but it's also super true. Yeah. And, you Probably know, been one of those females. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's just something that people relate to. Um, and then of course we find out she's a lot more than, than she thinks she is. And, Basically, the two main characters, the two young main characters, find out that everything they ever thought was wrong. Um, I happen to love those moments. I thought those were really well done. I'm glad you like those. And they just, they discover this stuff as they go and discover, they grow and discover more about themselves. <clears throat> One of the criticisms of the first book is that they really don't grow that much in the first book. Um, they're kind of just like, they they feel that they're just kind of being drug along, but they're dealing with gods, right? So how much agency do you want to give them? Um, well, and I think when they're dealing with gods and like you know horrendous monsters from myth, yeah, uh, I think honestly that that read to me is very realistic in many yeah. ways. Like it wasn't none of them were Mary Sue's. Yeah, good. See, I've had, and, I've, had, I've had them actually accused of being Mary Sue's, but shit, people like Mary Sue's to a certain Well, it, it, but here's the thing, though. It depends. Like, there's a difference between Mary Sue's and actually being an intelligent character. Yeah. And what makes them different from being a Mary Sue is a Mary Sue kind of, like, everything falls into place all along. And they kind of have this... Um, and, and I've seen it happen when I tutored with and worked with students as when I worked with soldiers where they were kind of like, and then things started clicking and then all of a sudden they were really taking off. Right. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I needed to build the world. No, that's exactly what you did. I needed, uh, I wanted these characters. The reader learns along uh, about stuff along with them to a certain ex extent and when, you know, big, powerful things do big, powerful stuff, it's nowhere near as interesting to me that it's just that they do it is cool, but it's much cooler if somebody who's never seen such a thing is witnessing it at the same yeah. time. Um, so that's kind of what I was doing with them. But I do try to give them little moments where they they do have agency and take and 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 try to do some things. Um, Zeke does, you know, go off and try to save a dog, you know, uh, yes. you know, and, <laughs> uh, and, you know, Fee, uh, does help him out of a really bad jam at one point. And she does stand up to one of the big bads toward the mm -hmm. end. So it's not like they don't have any, it's just that, no. yeah. It, it's definitely, I think it, it it grows and you have characters who are very sheltered who go to, they get thrust into the deep end. That would be the deep end for anybody. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's a certain aspect of if you've ever been really shoved into the deep end of you kind of go along for a while going, okay, okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I and think I, I liked it. Yeah, between that and a lot of like WTF moments, I try to I try to put as many of those in as possible for the author and for the characters or for the readers and for the characters, right? Yes. So yeah, that that's kind of what I was trying. Well, Doc is, is what's that? The next one is yours. I know. I was just going to say that uh, you did okay if you got Doc convinced because she can be somewhat picky. Yeah, I was like really afraid. No. <laughs> well, I knew she was reading them. I remember giving them to her and and like hoping. Uh, you always hope people read yeah, them. You were like, hey, do you want this book? And I looked at you and I went, hey, like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hide over here for a while. No, I really did enjoy it. I will admit, at first it seemed a little bit slower, but that's because also it's a slow burn. It it is. Yeah, it's not. It's not Lord of the Rings. You know, super slow. Yeah. I mean, my, okay. My favorite quote about Lord of the my favorite review of the Lord of the Rings movie is from my dad. He fell asleep. He woke up. He goes, "Wait, are they still walking, or did you pause the movie?" <laughs> and um so i mean it's not that slow but it i mean i just read forgotten ruin mm -hmm. which is like a a thrust into the deep end yeah so and um so yeah it's it's like maybe it's a bit of a slow burn if you're used to super action-packed super intense yeah but i think it's good because there's a lot of world building and a lot of trying to figure it out that mm -hmm. the characters are doing also so yeah. i i don't think it's too slow i think is appropriate thank you thank so you. because you also have to care about the characters to understand why and care about why they're freaking out right right you know and, and you know there's you know you can meet out the information um and generally most authors and that's what mfa authors are told to do you can't just say but then there's like Stephen King said, well, if you think there is some stuff that isn't going to, it's not going to work to spread it out, then get it over with. <laughs> Do it and get it done with. And that's kind of what I did. You know? Yeah. I thought one of the things that I really liked also was you did some callbacks later on in the trilogy. Mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to like, so you didn't feel compelled to put every single thing in there as it was happening. No. You kind of went... I don't know if you wrote those and then we're like, we're going to shelve them for later. Yeah. I mean, no, uh, or... I, had I had notes, so I knew what I'd want to come back to, but there, there are times when you're writing where you're like, well, shit, should I tell this now or should I tell this later? Is this the wrong time to re or reveal this? Yeah. Um, and a lot of that comes in the rewrite. When you go back through, you're like, okay, I need to move that over here. And then yeah, uh, you did a lot a lot with Zeke and Bad Zeke, which was really fun. Oh, pairing. Good. I'm pairing. So. I'm so happy you liked them. I did. I thought they were great. <laughs> Thank you. And so, are you done with your nerd, your nerd hour, Doc? Do you need a, need a few more moments? Jr. <laughs> Shh, it's okay. One day when you grow up, you'll understand. 
<laughs> All right. So this is the part where you tell us a little bit about the main character. What do you think makes them special in the crowded field of speculative fiction? Who would you say is the main character, Siska? Is there one? Because this is really an ensemble piece. It is an ensemble piece, but I really think Fee and Zeke. That Fee, it's Fee, and then Zeke it would be the the close second. Yeah. Um, because I really don't see where any of it could happen without Fee. Right. Like yeah. I, it could still happen without Zeke. Yeah. Yeah. But it could not happen at all without Fee. No. Certainly not in the way that it happens. Yeah. So. You're absolutely right. I never thought of it in those terms, but that's true. And then Peter. Yeah. Uh, I would guess. I think uh, Peter and Zeke are like kind of even. They're, they're kind of even because, you know, you kind of have to have the sperm donor at some level. <laughs> Says who? That's one way to. Says biology. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, Fee, um, it really appealed to me the idea of, you know, and it's, again, there's the tropey um, young woman who has uh who is uncomfortable with herself and has had kind of a tough childhood and suffered a lot of loss you know with the loss of her her father leaving and the death of her mother when she was young and living with yep. an older uncle who's from another culture um and but luckily what i liked is you didn't make it so that it was all the bad does that right. make sense yeah like her uncle, yeah, her uncle's really different. Her uncle's very British, doesn't understand, like, probably the best way if, in modern terms to express affection. Or raise kids. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you know, he he's doing the best he can, and, and he's doing things, and he's like, but that's just what family does. Of yeah. course I bring you breakfast in bed on Sunday. Why wouldn't right. I? Which she's nervous about, and then when he says he won't do it anymore, fast as she wants, she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> what, yeah, have no. what have I done now? Um, uh, I will say that having been, and I, I identified with a lot, and then, like, there's one point she's like, why did you stop hugging me? Or, or like help brushing my hair. And he's like, cause you were old enough to do it. And I thought it was weird at that point. I'm sorry mm -hmm. if it bothered you because I dealt with that as a female, like, yeah. you know, there becomes a time as a woman, as our, our as a young female, our bodies change. Yeah. And, and like, I'm like, why am I getting less hugs from my dad? And, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's not anything. It's just a growth thing. And, and I thought that was a lot of people don't talk about either. You yeah, know? but I thought it was great that you did it. It was one of the first books, and I've read a lot of female lead books. Yeah, where that actually cut in a lot of like growing up females, and it's really one of the first ones that really dealt with some of that. Like, as your body changes and as you mature as a female, your yeah. dynamic with right. your male parental figure can change. Yeah, I in a healthy way. In a healthy way. And I, you know, I, I'm the oldest of five kids and we're all like only eight years apart. Um, and um, my mom was 20 when I was born, you know, it's the old fashioned family, the way things used to be done. And, uh, and my, uh, and I have two sisters, one who's only a year younger and one who's four years younger or three yeah. and a half years younger. 
And, you know, so I grew up with them. And so, and I have a lot of female friends and I always did even growing up. Um, I think a lot of my best friends until I was in like third or fourth grade were girls, you know? So it's, um, you know, I saw, I saw a lot of that thing, that kind of thing. And, you know, those are kind of poignancies in, in life that you, that I kind of hung on to, I guess. And they just kind of came out in the writing somehow like, Oh, yeah. here's a place I could put this. But I thought it was really well done. I really liked Thank Fee. You. I thought she was super realistic for a fantasy yeah. novel. Yeah, so. no, that's that's fun. That's I really I mean, like. Why it's the dragons, right? No, what? there are there are dragons. There are dragons. And you said it was very realistic, and I'm like, yeah, minus the dragons. No, she's fun. realistic. She's not. A dragon. She's realistic. Like I could see a female responding like this her. This this lady. Back here, she no, can no, also turn I, into a dragon. Doc, I was saying you said she's realistic. I was making a joke. It's realistic, except for the dragons. Ah, yes. Um, when I well, have to explain well, the joke, you ruin it, Doc. You ruin it. Or maybe he just wasn't that funny. With urban fantasy, there are there are certain things that I feel that a story needs to root in real life if you're gonna have it take place in this world with real people. Um, even though it has all the fantastical elements. And I also tried to root even the most fantastical characters in, in some sort of humanity. You know, they had, they had personalities, they had worries, they had. Well, I, I loved the rooster character who then <laughs> is, who is obsessed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who's obsessed yeah. with music. Yeah. I am like, because we all know that one person who is way more obsessed with music yeah. than they should be. Yep. Yep. Always <laughs> listening, always listening to something, always kind of dancing and humming and singing. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. They got to, so, they all had to figure out something to cope with. I mean, some of these creatures, some of these beings are millions of years old, you know, so things come along that they like. That's what they use. <laughs> okay so speaking of things that come along that we like are there any secondary characters that were expression especially memorable to you um you know what's funny is that um siska you'll appreciate this having read them um edgar was not going to be that much of a character not that big of a character um i wasn't sure i thought he was going to be kind of cardboard um Baphomet and um Tanuki were supposed to die in the first act um and they end up all being like really really I mean it got to the point where like well I can't I can't I can't these characters have too much to do um so, I love Tanuki <laughs> I really did you went through some shit and made he, some mistakes, he does but you know um, My son kind of reminds me of Tanuki, which probably says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think, you know, my favorite ended up being, I think, Edgar. Um, I, was, I wasn't sure exactly. I, I had specific traits that I wanted to, him to have, but I never thought that he'd end up being so cool. You know, to me, to me, he's cool um, and, and funny and like, uh, like, like to, for Fee, it's like she really loves him, but he just drives her crazy, you know? Yeah. So, 
um, but I, I, I found him to be one of the real, and he ends up being kind of a driving force in the narrative in certain places. Um, and I thought it, it really gave uh, the importance of a character like a secondary character is to have the main characters learn something and grow and become stronger because of those characters, right? Yeah. Or to change in some way. And I and he ended up being just a really great vehicle for that, I thought, for Fee in particular. He's a really, I like him. He's a really awesome character. And um... he's also very famous in legend, but we won't say who he is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of very famous in legend, uh, that's the worst transition I could come up with, but we're going to go. <laughs> but uh, so what about the bad guys in this book? Obviously no spoilers, but what can you tell us about the bad guys? Uh, they're pretty bad. Some of them are just plain nasty bad, um, but they still say some pretty funny shit, even like Max. Mask of the Fool um, says some funny stuff, you know, and like a the, you know, a main big big bet, and 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 the way I like, I mean, you know, progression fantasy, it's a new thing. They call it progression fantasy. Well, that's been in, it's it's set up in steps with certain kind of um, progression, uh, and the way it's written. So yeah, it's it's a different, but the fact of introducing characters who grow stronger. And suddenly you have you have this character and it's like nobody's going to be able to beat that character. And then, bam, you have somebody who can totally kick their ass and then, bam, somebody who can totally kick their ass and then, bam, somebody who can totally kick their ass. Right. Um, so nobody is truly safe um, in the book, even the even the main character, one of the main characters who is basically unkillable and as old as the world itself, um, still has emotions. He can be hurt, right? Um, so there are there are ways that characters who can't be beaten physically can still be beaten. Um, so uh, the bad guys, I like I said, I tried to make them more gray. Some of them are just plain bad. Max is just a plain bad asshole. Um, uh claren um is pretty bad yet he has his moments of kind of funny shit when other people like don't show him the respect he thinks he deserves um and um you know even even the main big bad uh the boss um uh has some some odd moments that normally a bad you know a truly black and white uh bad guy character wouldn't have um but uh i mean there are so, there are a lot of characters in these books <laughs> it, it's definitely a, guys and a lot of good guys so um, but uh and a lot of guys who uh surprise you by the end of the book yeah the, the, by the oh. end of the trilogy which for me i read so much that uh when I'm sitting there going, oh, I like that. That was a good surprise. That's a that's a really good thing. Oh, that's that's I'm honored then because so. it's really hard because when you're writing it, you know what's yeah. going to happen. You know the surprise, so it's really hard to tell if it is a surprise or a plot, a real tw plot twist. 
So, really yeah, I liked some of them. I liked several of them. The, the, the worst thing an, uh, an author can think of is uh, an, uh, a, uh, you know, they're like, oh, here's this big reveal. And then they, you know, readers come along and say, oh, I saw that coming. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, if you set it up right, it's obvious to anybody who reads a lot because you start noticing you internalize plot structure in ways yeah. you don't really think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless you've got like some sort of God in the machine function, it's yeah. really hard yeah. to surprise someone who pays attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, I will take from that part of what you said that you plot your stories out pretty detailed then. Yes, I do. Very. That changes. How much of it, it, it'll change. I never stick to the original one. It changes several times as I go. But, so how uh, much do you think of that as a function of just you as a, as a creative person? And how much of that is because of the detailed nature with you pulling in so many legends and myth from, from various cultures? It's just required to keep it straight. It's definitely in my nature, um, though I have read some very, very complicated books by people I know who were pantsing. I know who pantsed because I found out later when I talked to them and I'm just like, how in the fuck do you keep that all in your head? How do you, how do you remember that stuff? And I can't. So I have to have hundreds of pages of notes and tables and columns and, and, uh, and, and, and outlines. Otherwise I, I simply can't keep it all. I, my brain is not that big. Um, I'm not that bright. So I have to I have to write that stuff mostly as a crutch, but I actually enjoy outlining too. So, and research. Okay. Um, so speaking of of crutches, uh, that that'll make sense in a second. So if you met your characters in a back alley and they knew everything that you, as the creator of this universe, had put them through, how do you see that fairy? You got a chance in hell of coming out alive? How, uh, all of them. Or, or one at a time, whatever. <laughs> one or two. Siska knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, how about the ones who are alive at the end of the trilogy? Because we already I, know the dead ones hate you, and they got nothing they were, left to lose. They were mad. I mean, I put them through some shit, so they any one of them could just take me out like that by the end. At the beginning, I could probably take a couple of them. But, but do you think they want to kill you? There's not a single character in there I could take. Not one. Do you do you think like Fee and Zeke would want to kill you? Mm, I think Fee and Zeke may have become wise enough at that point that they might not <laughs> want to kill me. Um, because <laughs> I did, you know, I took care of them a little bit. Um but I did put them through some hell. <laughs> <laughs> there are some characters that would just like snuff me out. Like you did, yeah, yeah, no, there's one or two that you'd be glad to be snuffed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so on a so, scale of yeah. zero to Lovecraft, how horrific were your evil bads? Evil dads? Bads. Like the baddie. The big bad oh. guy. Yeah, just as bad. Probably right up there with Cthulhu. Yeah, I think you definitely borrowed from Cthulhu at one yeah. point. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. Some I mean, inspiration it, it, there. It, there's some deep, there's some deep, deep ancient evil lore there. Some of them are pretty bad. They're, they're certainly a little more Avengers like 
bad guys than Cthulhu, but they have a much a much deeper and older history. Okay. All right, Doc. Next question's on you. If you could stop giggling. No. So did you use character archetypes in creating this story? Yes. And which one was uh, your favorite certain, archetype? To a certain extent, I kind of had to, right? Because drawing from Campbell's writings on myth and, you know, lots of studies on myth and just reading myth, it's archetypal. That's what it is. Yes. Um, most so of what, it, what's your favorite archetype? Is this like that favorite character thing you asked me about, JR? <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the character type. So yeah. when we talked all pre-show, pre in case you forgot, you were talking about the wise uh, old mentor. Yeah, I like type. I like the mentor characters. JR likes asking about archetype having us ask about archetypes because he thinks it makes him sound smart. Yeah, well, it's a fancy word. It's actually pronounced archetypy. <laughs> <laughs> Never sure. gonna say it that way. Potato potato. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's funny you said that because in this book, um, I have the Edgar character who's British um, say potato as potato and Fee makes fun of it. And then I found out that tomato and tomato is a real thing, but British say potato as potato. It's the same. <laughs> It's exactly the same as the way we say it. So I actually went back in. That's the joy of self-publishing, right? I went back in and fixed that. <laughs> so they changed it from potato to tomato? Now now it's now it now he talks about the tomato instead of the potato. And luckily, in the meal that he had served, there are tomatoes and potatoes. So, <laughs> so which which so. version did the narrator get? Uh, the to the tomato, tomato, tomato. Nice, nice. Yeah. Outstanding. All right, Doc, carry on, carry on. The mentor <sighs> character, that's what I was going to say. I always, I like the wise old mentor character, the person they have to go to or the person they they rely on the most who may end up dying, may not. Um, I love those characters. They, they, are, they are fun, and you have a couple of them, but... They're like mentors in very specific areas too, which I think is great because the mentor, you don't have the mentor character be a Mary Sue either. So yeah, a lot of I don't think any of them are, 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 are Mary Sue's, but you're right. I do have, I do have many more than one. I was thinking specifically of the Edgar character, but yeah, there are, there are others. You're right. But they, they, they help her in and Zeke in other ways right yeah in uh in you're right in very specific like i'm going to train you swords and i'm going to train you this and i'm going to train you that it's not like that but it's like that you know what I yeah mean? yeah so it's i loved most, it it was good what okay. most of those characters the the mentor characters are stand in because for whatever reason in fantasy they like to kill the parents as the opening act mm -hmm. yeah so we, I can't mine, respond to that. Mine are already dead and gone. They're, they've been gone for a while. <laughs> so, <coughs> uh, you know, in, in books like this, the uh, world is as much of a character as the protagonist. So um, can you give the readers a bit of ex 
to like what to expect. I mean, you definitely pull. Okay. I don't think there is a single culture you didn't pull from when I was reading it. <laughs> there might be some. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty. But I mean, there there, there are so many, but... thousands and thousands of cultures, so there might be, but yeah. you definitely hit the biggest. Like, not even some of the biggest, but you hit a lot. Yeah, I mean, and I love. I I forgot to mention that how much I I love. Um, uh, African mythology, but to say African mythology is like ridiculous because it's, it's, there are so many cultures. Africa is a very an amazing variety of yeah. peoples and cultures and stories and ideas. And it's very uh, textured, very, very textured. It's like South America, you know, um, only even probably maybe more so, um, because it doesn't have that one overall Spanish influence, you know, mm -hmm. um, except Brazil, Portugal, which, you know, Portugal, France, eh. um, same, same. Yeah, Portuguese and Spanish right now are cursing my name. How dare you? Um, <laughs> I won't tell they're Sarah. Right, they're right next to each other. It's like saying German, German, German and Norse. You know, eh, they're pretty darn close in in ancient culture well definitely it's like saying german and gauls yeah yeah uh, <laughs> uh jr even i know some history yeah i'm impressed hell just froze over but i'm impressed <laughs> <laughs> so now when you start talking about the goths and the visigoths then we'll talk ah i actually do understand people. what you're talking about so there yeah those are in so one of my those are those those get talked about in one of my short stories. See, Not JR, my, the difference is I wanted a degree that could get me a job. Yeah. You could get a job with a history degree. You could teach. You could work at Starbucks. Have you heard my <laughs> vocabulary? You could go to law school. Yeah. I think I've named all of the degree possibilities or job opportunities. Yep. Or you could go into the military and take a commission. Yep. You do that. <laughs> there too. you go. That's your career prospectus. And now all the history professors all over America are going to be cursing me and sending me hate mail. If they, listen. I can't wait. We're going to make Terry Maggart listen to this because he's a history professor and an author. <laughs> nice. And then, so is he going to write the the history like the hate mail for me or what? Terry's so sweet. He wouldn't write the hate mail for you. Okay. He'd just make his students so do it. He would never do that. <laughs> so if we're going to do that, though, we've got to get a voice narrator to come on and read those in the movie trailer voice guy thing going on. That would be pretty funny. So we'll make but anyway. Oh, well, Nick would actually have to show up and he'd have to be let loose from his. Uh, from his Damn, JR, you're on a roll tonight. Well, it's not his fault. His job keeps calling him back. <laughs> I don't blame him. He's got to, like, keep democracy safe or something. So. <laughs> Uh, Paternus Rise of the Gods is clearly part of a series. I know because it says so on Amazon, and you've told us by telling us it was a trilogy. So there's currently three books out in the series, but is their story done? Will there be more from these characters? Um, yes. Actually, my plan when I finished these was to, once I, the this third book almost killed me. It's like a third again longer than the second one, which is longer than the first. And, uh, but I think what, that's a what requirement with epic fantasy? Yeah, they get longer. Yeah, and I expected it to be about one hundred eighty thousand words. It turned out to like two thirty six. 
So that's a big, big jump. But um, even uh, JR can do that math. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, what he's telling you, Doc, is if you add the the math and circumference and velocity and all that stuff that people do, you could turn his book into a weapon in in a state of emergency. Like just whack him over the head with it. It, it is I'm, very Weber-esque thick. It's thick. I mean, it's not quite Brandon Sanderson level, but... No. Well, <laughs> 700,000 words, no thanks. And, and that's just the prologue. Yeah. So my plan <laughs> was to write like four or five books, in a, four to six books in a much shorter series, 85 to 100,000 word uh, things, uh, more strict urban fantasy, uh, you know, wizard demon hunter type. But it takes place in the same world 20 years before. Uh, okay. Prior. Um, and in book three, you met the main character and one of the other main characters. Oh, I know where you're going with that. That would be so. Yeah. Um, so I introduced those and it would be about 20 years prior to this, to this um, uh, story. And then I would like to do a, um, uh, another trilogy that's maybe 15 years later. Um, now it'll take me the rest of my life to write those books because I don't. <laughs> know. But meanwhile, I'm writing another trilogy for a small press, um, a really cool small press uh, that's um, just a really great deal um, for me financially and super super fun to write. Much easier than Paternus, which had a whole lot of moving parts. Um, and uh, a whole lot of fun, and it's a progression fantasy. But um, are you able to talk about that more, or you got to? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the working title is actually okay. I'll tell you, this is what it is, and uh, and I'll tell you what it is by how it came about. I'm in a writers group with a bunch of really fun other writers. Um, there's only like 30 of us in there, but maybe 15 of us are really active. We get together once a year. Um, everybody that Siska's met that I've been hanging out with is in that writers group. <laughs> I was wondering about Davis, that. Davis and Bryce and Phil Tucker and, and those guys. And Jonathan French was in it for a while, but now he's like trad pub and he doesn't need us anymore. No, I'm just kidding. He's still great. We still talk to him all the time, see him all the time. Um, but uh, a, uh, we were joking about all the books that are making so much money, right? It's like uh, uh, magic school, just magic school books just keep making money and making money. Military school, especially progression fantasy, military and, ma and, and magic school, dragon rider books still i mean if you put a dragon on it and there's somebody riding a you know if it's halfway well written it's gonna kick ass um in the market um and uh and and you know the 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 the, the old trope of the of the the farm boy right who gets plucked into an adventure and and has to go and and get stronger and and do better and and becomes king you know yeah. um so those things are still really really popular so i was joking and i said i said fuck it guys i'm gonna write a uh, military magic school dragon rider academy um <laughs> uh, progression progression fantasy oh except that in my book, the main character, and, and it's, you know, farm boy, uh, except in my book, the main character is going to ride a kraken, 
and I'm going to call it Kraken Rider Z. Um, so that's what these books are. <laughs> I was approached three days, three, four days later. Um, we were thinking about that idea that you threw out and we'd really like you to do that. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm writing right now. Uh, You're going to call it Kraken Riders of Kern? I will make you read the books. But it literally has all those things in it as main part, part parts of it. So Kern is an anacronym, JR. <laughs> what is it? P-E-R-N. P-E-R-N is an anacronym. It, I cannot remember. Yeah. I was 20 years ago I read the book. Did you right. just admit you're old? What? You. Doc? Okay. All right. We'll get back. I am like good wine. I am ageless. I mean, yeah. You've tried to stab me already twice before we came on air. So I'm just going to go with it and we'll move on. So Jair, I threatened to stab you as I'm drinking coffee. That's normal. Yeah, true. Um, it's probably a good thing you live like 12 hours away. Uh, so we all know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent roles of science, technology, and or magic. So what sort of uh, tech and magic? So you said that it's set in modern world, so we'll assume the tech is the same. But what sort of magic can we expect from these books? Um, well, it's, you know, I kind of, I'm kind of in between, though I tend to lean. There's like the Patrick Rothfuss uh, magic system school where there, it must be magic system and it must be, you know, this laid out in a particular way. And there are others, you know, that, 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 that fall into that. And then there's a George, George R. R. Martin that, uh, school that's fucked that it's magic, right? You don't have to explain it. It doesn't have to have a system, you know? So I kind of, I kind of, um, uh, go between those two. Um, uh, so basically, uh the, the the magic the power is based on um uh invocation by by words and ancient languages and ancient words uh have more power and the more power the the the, the older the being the more power they have um the more the words they say have um but what those do simply is invoke certain things that can manipulate the um, scientific material cosmos, right? So I play with thermo, not not just not thermodynamics so much, but a little bit. Um, but like quantum quantum theory and string theory and um, um, stuff like that, right? Uh, and how things can be. Um, and everything has like a consciousness. Um, it's animism, basically. Everything is conscious, uh, just more focused in higher conscious creatures. Um, so you can actually almost program, um, and I'm getting into the tech here, there are uh, weapons of various levels. The astral weapons, and this comes from Hindu mythology, are the highest level. They were created by the most powerful, imbued with magic. But it's really what every time somebody talks about magic, really, they just talk about it as a forgotten science. It's really just a science. Um, um, but nobody either believes it anymore uh, or would ever believe it, even if you explained it. 
Um, so that's that's kind of what I've done with it. So there's a little bit of, yeah, it's magic, and there's a little bit of system as well. Okay. If that makes sense. It did, it did. But yeah, there's my right, tech, there is tech. There's there's armor that can form and reform to uh, a being's body as it changes. Um, that's just impenetrable to anything other than like claws of an older beast. Um, uh, and there's uh, there are swords and weapons that can do some pretty magical things, but it somehow explain I explain it through various and sundry sciencey stuff to a certain extent. Um, and uh, and had a lot of had a lot of fun with that. So there is some some kind of cool tech in there too. So of all, well, we'll open it up so that it's either you you can pick the tech or the magic. What would you have for daily use if you could? Uh, pick I'd, I'd want like an Astra sword. Okay. So want, you know, though though Shudar Shana would be pretty fun. Um, the disc. Yes. The disc that will go after whoever you send it after. Um, so, how would you have anything? Yes. <laughs> so, how would you abuse that item that you picked? How would uh, I abuse that item? Yeah. Boy, I'd use it to chop down trees. One swing and it'd be done. Or I just send Shuda Shana out to you know take down a couple of trees and. Chop up all the chop up all the logs. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So that's a use and an abuse, I guess, especially. <laughs> so um we do have fantastic creatures in your universe. And we've you've already kind of hinted about that. How did you go about creating them though? Because they are some really fantastical creatures. They're all from mythology and folklore. So you just pulled them um, all straight from there? There's not a single, there's not that, well, okay, I kind of lied. There's, I, I was going to say, there's not a single one that that is um, uh, not taken out of a myth from somewhere around the world, um, or folklore, uh, buried tales even, um, that uh, they all come from some culture, and uh, from various times and places around the world. Uh, I did uh, take, you know, I, I, of course, take some liberty with the description of them um, sometimes um, and their behaviors a little bit, but I try to stay as true as I can and still make them interesting. Um, there are, uh, there are some that I, you know, like the, the, the turkey men shapeshifters, mm -hmm. you know, there are really those creatures but I don't know that anyone ever, I don't know that in any real le legend, they actually turn into big turkey men and turkey women and kill people. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, there are some I made up, but the name of the, that, that family of shapeshifters is real, um, is a real thing. And some of the other ones are, are more real. Um, but all the rest of them, a lot of them are just kind of described as, as, they are in in the myths and act as they do in the myths there are some characters that aren't really out of myth there's no real character in mythology called maskim 
Zool. Um, it's a name that I uh, that I put together of two Sumerian words, um, uh, and based on uh, that particular character. You know, Maskam Zul might actually have been one, but Edimamula is not was not really one. Um, there there are plenty of uh, hyena characters. Um, ghoul. The the word ghoul is is uh, an an old Arabic word that talks about you know eaters of the dead. That is that it's been <clears throat> it's been. Um, uh, there's been a lot of research done. A lot of people have theories that that, that comes from actual hyenas. Um, so there is some stuff like that that I did, but the rest of them all come out of all come out of myth. You know, like Typhon shows up, right? And he's described yeah. he's described in myth in many different ways. But of course, I take some liberties. I stay true to some of them and and um, and take some liberties with others, but. Yeah, there's. Yeah, I didn't really make up a lot of that stuff, you know. Mahisha, the buffalo demon. No, I gave him a character. I gave him a certain way of acting and doing things that may have not, that may not have been described in the mythology, the Hindu mythology. But, um, uh, but it's a character from. It's a buffalo demon from Hindu mythology. Cool. All right, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. That's, so, what was your? That, that's Mahisha right there on the on the cover of the uh, first book. Did you have a favorite set of myths that you plundered? Um, there are some that I use more than others. Um, Hindu uh, uh, is way up there. Mahabharata, the Ramayana. Um, um, Norse is way up there. Um, uh, some are just barely mentioned, touched on because it, it's just it got to be too much. Um, and I feel bad that that I might have had to slight one mythology group mythology than than another. But it's all um, it's I would say that those two are probably at the four, I would guess. Okay. I definitely think you, you pulled from a lot of pantheons. But yeah. yeah. I think um, the ones you pulled from are very appropriate. None of it felt forced. Good. Good. Which is one of those things when I'm I'm reading a book and and I've had some where it felt like okay I we're just going to make you must have made a check mark list and um and we're just going through to make sure that we hit all the demographics. Yeah. Now and and there's there's yeah. not anything wrong with that but i like it when it feels doesn't feel like that yeah and your books yeah. really yeah like I, it, it you I talk love... about the hindu wheel of um cycle of time in the universe mm -hmm. and that's very organic very natural in this story and it fits so well good because yeah. i you know it's i i like stories with a message i like mm -hmm. i like stories with diversity but it it's really, um, it's really hard to do, and it. I just, yeah, I don't enjoy it when I can either see the soapbox, or it does look like it's checkmark going through a checkmark list. 
yeah. like, yeah. like like it's forced. Um, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel organic. I appreciate the sentiment, and I may even like the message, but if I can see the soapbox, it, I'm lost. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. Even when I agree with the message, like I, I jokingly will say, if I wanted to be preached at, I'd go to church. So I don't mind message message fiction if it's done subtly enough that I don't know. Or if it's just read, straight up about it. Yeah, I've read a couple I mean, read, where they were just straight up about it. Yep. And that's fine. But I, I tend to want to read for the enjoyment and the relief of stress. And um, if I wanted to read the news, I would, uh, if I wanted to read the news, I would read the news or after 2020, John Ringo or Elona Andrews, they seem to be equally possible right now. Yep. There's a couple of authors and I'm just like, okay, put your crystal ball down. We don't need any more. Please stop. Nope. Don't give more ideas. <laughs> so yeah, I, I relate to that, but all right. So clearly this interview is winding down uh, or up if you let me keep going, but doc's got to go to sleep because she's got the dreaded day job. Yeah. So she's got yeah. So was there anything about Patronus Rise of the Gods that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us before we moved on? Um, I don't know. I would just say, uh, you know, the, the one of the biggest criticisms is kind of a slow start or they have a difficult people have a difficulty getting into it. But then mo even more will say, I I almost gave up on this, but boy, am I glad I didn't. Um, and I I suppose I could have written a book that had a you know, faster beginning, a lot more stuff going on, but there is a lot of stuff going on. Um, it, uh, it does bounce around between characters a little bit, but what books don't anymore these days, a whole lot of them do. Um, so, you know, some people actually will stop reading as soon as they see it's in present tense because they think of that as YA or it's an abomination. I actually had a reviewer call it an abomination. So if you don't like that kind of stuff, maybe don't don't read it. But um, I think it makes it much more. Give it a shot. You like it? It's okay if you don't. <laughs> I think it makes it much more emotionally intimate. Is how I think one author put it once. It's more immediate. Um, so. I have a like I you know I have a background in film, right? And I wrote screenplays. Screenplays are always written in present tense because everything that a character is doing is doing it right now on the screen. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing you don't get to do is you don't get to go inside their thoughts. You don't get background unless you have a flashback. You don't go get to get into their thoughts unless there's um, voiceover, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I tried to I tried to use some film techniques in how I structure the scenes and the plot and in and in how I wrote the prose of the story. Um, uh so some people say some people absolutely love that about it and some people just kind of bounce which is okay all right that's fair so uh before we let you go dear listener um just remember that after you read the book please leave your thoughts on the reviewing platforms uh please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms because your reviews help the right readers find the right books uh, even reviews that give it a one star can sometimes help the right audience buy it or avoid it. I have bought books off of one star reviews. This because sounds sometimes like it's you don't like it might be why JR loves it. Mm -hmm. Like my, oh, this is uh gun porn. Okay, dude, sign me up. Larry Korea, you got my money. 
my favorite was actually a review of mine. Someone said it was like a 12-year-old with ADHD wrote uh, gun porn. That was their review of my book. And I'm like, can I use that in a marketing ad? Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't give me permission. But like sometimes just the reviews, too much cussing, not enough cussing, too much sex, not enough sex. Like all of those things are things some people like and other people hate. So as yep. long as you give a reason, like I didn't like it because you're helping readers, uh, helping readers out. And uh, as we've discussed, at 100 reviews, the author gets a special prize. I was told that the unicorns are on strike. They no longer are giving out unicorns or unicorn steaks. Apparently, the, the unicorns heard me, and they don't they don't want to be eaten. So I don't know what you're going to get now, but 100 reviews is a milestone that helps the author out. So, so please please do review what you like. You can review on Goodreads, on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, and anywhere where books are sold, fine book retailers. Uh, and if you bought it at a traditional store, like, Doc and other weird people do. You could still go on some of those sites and review it. Well, and or you can do, that, do what I do. I make I copy the review, and then I just paste it everywhere. Yep, That's that was what I was, was going to say. Or start a website and just do a review platform. You know, if you do the review website, you, know, you might are, get people. Just put it everywhere. Yep. If you I start had, your I had a really speaking of re ratings and reviews, I hit a really cool milestone this week. Five and a half years after Paternus came out, I just hit two thousand reviews on Goodreads or ratings. On Goodreads. Nice. Not two thousand reviews is a big deal. Yeah, it's two thousand ratings. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's that that's pretty. You, you can just do stars on Amazon without actually writing anything. It's a pretty. You can do it on Goodreads too. That, that's impressive that you survived the Amazon purges when they were clearing out all like all kinds of authors were losing reviews. Well, I did. And then I got them. I complained and I got some back. I got a bunch back. But Amazon doesn't have nearly as many. Goodreads is where I hit 2000. Wow. Nice. That's still impressive. Yeah. So either way, please be kind and speak your mind. And if you don't have uh, an Amazon account because you're weird and you buy your books the old fashioned way in a bookstore because you're weird, make a website. And, you know, people might actually start sending you free books just so you'll write reviews of them. It happens. Yeah. I know Doc's giving me the bird, but it's OK. We love her anyway. All right. Uh, Derek, where can listeners find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Uh, well, my, my website is paternusbooks.com. Uh, I don't keep up on that as much as I should, but there's a bunch of neat stuff there. Uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook all the time under U-N-D-Y-R-K um, on, on Twitter, but you can just find me under Dirk Ashton. Uh, there's a Paternus Books media page on Facebook and also my personal one. I, I follow everybody, friend, you know. Uh, so you can find me on those two and I'm on Instagram, also Dirk Ashton or undirk there and um occasionally you'll find me lurking in uh reddit fantasy nice nice or i'm also right. or i'm also undirk <laughs> i'm sensing a theme yeah uh so you can find us on our twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show sierra foxrod underscore fantasy underscore show you can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com again blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com you can send all hate mail to seska at blasters and blades podcast.com <laughs> we are on facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast you can support the show at our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades anchor.fm Dad, blasters dash and dash blades. 
you messed me up and now I'm going to let you mock me and they can just watch you mock me relentlessly. I'm going to redo this. You can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Or you could support us over on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. See if you can keep up uh, for a Patreon model where you can do it on a reoccurring monthly basis. Or you can support us on a one-time uh, endeavor over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Henley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Henley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I okay. promise I will keep my co-host Doc. Garber, uh, Doc Garber, <laughs> Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. You're sober and you're messing it up so bad. Well, maybe I just thought you and Nick had some sort of, uh, what do you call that? Chemistry or something. I don't know. Stabby's going to get me now. Ew. <laughs> His wife gross. is going to hunt me down and be like, <laughs> stabbing me repeatedly. I'll take You'll that. Like we'll edit it. that in post, I'm sure. You'll like it. It will remind you of the infantry. So, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for Nick Garber, just to make sure JR knows who we're talking about. JR Henley, I'm Doc Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, indulging our love of cheesy jokes, nerd culture, pineapple on pizza. Heresy. Yum. Dragons can be of any genre. <laughs> Doc, Thank you, you for tuning in with Doc, are you pre-screening uh, no. pineapple heresy? Uh, we didn't ask him yet. How do you he just do said like young? He just said young, so I know he's a heretic. Are you pre-screening guests for this? This is like the fifth in a row. You know what? <laughs> Maybe it's because you're wrong. That is not possible. So we're just gonna end on the note of pineapples That's do not belong. Pineapples are wonderful on pizza.